some contact information. And then the next page is where you put in the shipping information. And then another page where you put in the billing information. It was just going from page to page. And it was a process. And simply by eliminating that five-page checkout and replacing it with a one-page where it was all made more sense, their conversion rate went from about 1.75 to about 4%. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The average rate at which the average consumer abandons their shopping cart before making a purchase is 81%. There are countless reasons why consumers leave their shopping carts. These reasons could be legitimate such as unexpected shipping costs. They could also be website functionality, such as the requirement for a new user account, their tendency to research to buy later, and security concerns. These issues affect conversion, sales, and customer experience. In today's episode, we invited an expert panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise with e-commerce shopping cart issues. We discuss these issues and the implications on consumer behavior as well as conversion. Finally, we discussed several advanced shopping cart features such as cart to court, approval processes in the B2B cards, out-of-the-box functionality available in e-commerce systems, and several stories related to shopping cart issues. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. And today we are going to be talking about shopping carts. So we are going to start with everybody's intro. And then after that, we will be discussing this topic. So, Eric, do you want to start with your intro? Yeah, sure. I'm Eric Landman, the e-commerce division manager of Earthling Interactive. Um, I'm a general certified solution specialist and have been building e-commerce sites for a long time, 15 years, maybe. That's indeed a long time, and obviously you have seen all good, bad, and ugly of shopping cart. So it's going to be very insightful today. Laurie, do you want to introduce yourself next? Yes, happy to. Uh, I'm Laurie McDonald. I'm the founder of Brilliance Business Solutions. Um, I, uh, my background's technical, so computer electrical engineering is my background. And I, what most people remember about me is that I worked at NASA Johnson Space Center before I started brilliance. And uh, so we've been doing this for 23 years and we work with big commerce and Optimizely, which used to be EpiServer to implement digital commerce solutions. So really excited about the conversation we're having today. Okay, amazing. And I'm super excited to have you, Laurie, as well, just from the B2B perspective. I think there are some nuances overall in the shopping cart. So it's going to be so interesting Chris, do you want to introduce yourself next? Yes. Thank you, Sam. Chris Harrington, president and COO at Gen Alpha Technologies. 
Uh, we are also a uh, product development company. We have developed an e-commerce solution for manufacturers. And we really focus, our target market is on equipment manufacturers and aftermarket companies who have uh, have to service their products throughout the life cycle of that equipment. So that's the that's the place we play in. Yeah, and that's a very interesting place, especially when you look at the shopping cart. There is going to be a little bit of debate overall whether the shopping cart in your world should exist or not. So we'll be discussing all of that. Steve, do you want to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thank you, Sam. Uh, my name is Steve Rice. I am the founder of SR Consulting at Dotcom Jungle. Uh, and we work with consumer products, uh, goods, uh, manufacturers, and retailers to help them make and implement wise technology choices. So, uh, and we're trying to be platform agnostic when it comes to websites, but we also do a lot of work and in integration in the back end with shipping and finance and stuff like that. So, okay, amazing. Thank you so much for the intro. And when we look at the shopping cart issues, I think they are going to be most prevalent in the CPG world. So, we are going to have some exciting stories there from you, Steve. Thank you so much for joining today. Erin, do you want to introduce uh, yourself next? Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me again, Sam. Always a good time here with this team. I'm Erin Courtney. I'm the VP of Digital Services for Earthling Interactive. So I work with Eric. And as he mentioned, Magento is our specialty platform. So we'll be providing insight from there. But then we also have service customers on a number of other platforms and are happy to, to join in the conversation, especially when it comes to things like WooCommerce and Shopify, which the shopping carts are important on those platforms. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for that intro. And I completely agree that shopping carts are going to be so important there. Thank you so much for joining Erin today. So let's dig uh, deeper into the topic. So the first thing that we will discuss today is going to be how many issues you have seen from the shopping cart perspective. Describe the scenario overall, if let's say if people are not familiar with okay, I am building probably e-commerce site for the first time and how big the deal could be when we look at the shopping cart. But the people who have lived in the shopping cart world, they know how difficult it could be and how much impact that it could have on your overall traffic, conversion, sales growth. Oh my goodness. It's everything in my opinion. So Steve, I am actually going to start with you if you don't mind. Because you are in the CPG world, and I can almost guarantee that you have probably seen most issues because of shopping cart. Yeah, do you want me to talk about all the uh, horrible things? or <laughs> We would probably need two hours for that, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stick to top three. Yeah, well, I, I would say uh, we're lucky that it's 2021 uh, and not 2006 or even 2011. A lot of the standard practices from back then wouldn't work today. And uh, the, the I think one of the basic truths is the more pages you have people who go through, the less likely they are to go through it. So most systems have one or two page checkouts. They're auto-filling addresses. There's a whole bunch, a whole slew of user experience additions that have been really important for the users. And, and frankly, some of it was driven by Amazon and the desire to compete with Amazon. And, uh, you know, moving forward, I think what people are really going to be looking for, what they should be looking for, I would say, uh, especially independent manufacturers, if they don't have an SAS like Shopify, they're dealing with PCI compliance issues. And there's a whole new level of credit card processors that supply a type of payment gateway that reduces your liability and increases the usability from the customer standpoint. 
And um, you should be looking at that to help increase your, uh, reduce your card bandwidth. Yeah, so I am actually going to have some clarifying questions for you, Steve, because you mentioned a lot of terms. And as you know, our audience is not going to be as familiar with the technical terms as also the e-commerce terms. So one thing that you mentioned is overall, if you have more pages, then the experience is probably not going to be as good if I try to conclude that. So can you clarify that a bit more? Why more pages are typically a problem as far as shopping cart goes? And then I can ask more questions. Do you want to address that first? Yeah, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, we had a client in 2011. They were using uh, Zencart back then, which is a perfectly feasible tool back then. It's been supplanted since then, I think, in terms of full functionality. But, you know, it had one page where you put in your some contact information. And then the next page is where you put in the shipping information. And then another page where you put in the billing information. It was just going from page to page. And it was a process. And simply by eliminating that five-page checkout and replacing it with a one-page where it was all made more sense, their conversion rate went from about 1.75 to about 4%. Hmm. So um, it's, it's a measurable thing. Historically, we've always said that every page you add to the checkout reduces your conversion rate by 50%. So having this, this checkout be tight and clean and do a lot of heavy lifting for your clients is probably the best place that you can spend money and know you're going to get it back because you can measure that ROI and that conversion rate pretty rapidly. That's amazing. That's a solid strategy right out there. Now, you mentioned a couple of more terms and you mentioned, I think, P-second client issues and SAS. Do you want to clarify those for the listeners, what those are and yeah. how that is relevant from the shopping cart perspective? Yeah. So if, if you're an independent, you're a manufacturer, you're a retailer, and you've got a website that isn't in a software as a service, which is what SAAS is. Software as a service would be things like Shopify, Big Commerce, and they're actually responsible for all the security that happens on your website because it's on their server. Uh, and you're paying a certain amount. All your fees include those kinds of security issues. If you're running open source software or or bot open source software too sometimes, but the open source version would be Magento and WordPress, WooCommerce, those kinds of things. You generally have that on your own server or server that you're paying for. Uh, and so you, when you collect a credit card in the old standard operating, op, standard operating procedure, you're actually, that credit card is being placed on your server. I'm using very generic terms here. And that means it's accessible to other people in a certain way. We'll call them hackers. And uh, even if you have uh, the right kind of credit card security, it's still hitting your server somehow before it heads off somewhere. And PCI compliance means payment credit card industry compliance. And it's a standard testing protocol with a multiple levels of security or ratings that you have to comply with. And if you're actually taking a credit card on your server, you have to have a higher level of compliance. And frankly, it's, it's quite expensive and you have to recertify every three months. It's worth it, but there are also options out there where you don't have to do that. And essentially, the older gateways were a little slow with moving through technology and we're only providing this kind of like hit your server and then send it to us technology. And it was companies like Stripe that came in and said, there's a better way to do this. And everybody's doing this now. But when you, if you have a Stripe checkout and you have the right kind of Stripe checkout, because there's different options in Magento or WooCommerce or any other platform, that credit card isn't actually touching your server. So your PCI compliance standards go way down. So the form you have to fill out, which is called a SAQ, um, I forget what SAQ stands for, but the Q stands for questionnaire. 
So I got that much. It's a lot shorter. The SAQ for a high level of PCI compliance, it would take a, a non-professional like three days to understand it and figure it out, have to call a lot of people. Whereas if you have the credit cards not hitting your server, the SAQ is super simple. And you just have to basically say, yeah, I'm not writing somebody's credit card and putting on a post-it on my computer in the office, right? So that's the definition of those words. And, the, you know, the difference is you're not now liable for uh, a, the transactions or the credit cards that are on your server. So you, if, if something gets hacked, you won't, the bank won't come back to you and fine you $100,000 per credit card that gets taken off of your website because it's not actually taken off your website. And to be clear, companies like uh, Stripe and them have better security than you do, no matter what you do. Okay, amazing insights there. So now Eric must be mad at me because he's typically the first one. And today, when he really wanted to talk about the, the shopping cart, I'm asking Steve to start. So Eric, okay, why don't you start? <laughs> Sorry. Uh oh, Sam. Uh -oh. That's fine. He, he got the crowd warmed up. Um. Uh, okay, go ahead, please. From your perspective, what are the issues that you have seen? I'm pretty sure you have tons of um, stories well, there. The, the SAQ is, stands for self-assessment questionnaire, and it's your way of uh, saying, yes, we're good people. Here's how many transactions we have, and here's how many millions of dollars we don't bill through your credit card system, and don't find us a huge fine. But from a development and design perspective is where I look at a lot of this, not uh, to some extent marketing, but mostly development and, and divine, uh, design. There have, yeah, that uh, five-step checkout process. I built some of those sites. Glad they're gone. They were terrible. And there's been at least three major evolutions of thought in checkout systems, I think. And pretty much where everybody has landed now is the one-page checkout. Even that, though, is being modified with technology called PWA. And actually, I don't even know what that stands for. But that's splitting pieces of the application on the device. And so the checkout is actually super fast. So uh, from a design and a user interface perspective, there is still a lot of variability out there. And just for kicks, just before the meeting here, I went up to checkout for three different platforms. They look different. There's different options and different things you can do with them. So for example, let's start at the front end. It's fairly common for teams to have a, what, what developers call a mini cart, where there's a little cart icon in the up, upper corner. You either roll over it or click it, and it may drop down and it may show you what's in the cart or it may just be a link, but the mini cart displays things. And sometimes you can even interact with things. You ask like, oh, I got two of those. Oh, I really wanted one more of those. So you add a plus sign and then you, then you hit checkout. Not all systems have that and not all themes have that, but you have this user expectation, perhaps, oh, I saw that on that site. That doesn't, isn't that included? It's like, well, no, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> so there's lots of ways to do that. Another is, Suppose you're in a store, I happen to have a customer who's got two products, that's all they sell, and you could add the product to a cart and force them to go to a cart, but then, I mean, why? If the user's buying one product, why don't you just click it and go right to checkout, further reducing even displaying a cart page? There's really no point. Um, they can always go back to the product page and add more. Um, so to, this is to Steve's general point that Reducing the number of steps is is really critical. Also, when you get to the checkout, the number of you've seen a lot of things. I, I can describe what this is technically. It's called an AJAX refresh. But when you click on something, like you enter your address, and little little spinny wheels happen, and 
stuff goes on and then something happens, it refreshes. That's my highly technical explanation there. <laughs> um, it might do something like an address lookup for a tax taxing authority, like if you're using maybe a service like Avatax or the post office, it might try to normalize the address so it doesn't come up with some funky address. Then it will also possibly allow you to create an account. These are all very, very complex features. And this, this system, the cart and the checkout system, is the number one place that there are customizations in any website that I've built. The number two place is the product page. But we can go into this, into any site, into a new build or a rebuild and say, what do you, you, know, what do you want this to do? And we really have to expose the expectations of the site owners because they can be very different. And some platforms you, you literally can't do, it's not possible to do certain things. Like I had a customer, for example, who wanted a little delivery date calendar because they only shipped on Mondays. They wanted it on the shipping page. Seems like a logical place, but the platform they chose had a lockdown shipping and you could not add that to the check the, the shipping page. Instead, you had it added on the cart page, which is a little weird. It doesn't look right. Um, but anyway, so from a design and development perspective, we have to work through these various questions and expectations and come up with solutions that will work with the platform. So don't get mad at us, guys. We're trying to do what we can do. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there is always going to be a little bit of misalignment in terms of how systems actually think from the accounting perspective versus how design and development community thinks. So obviously, there's going to be a little bit of misalignment there. So today, what we are going to do, we are going to play the team here. Okay, so Eric covered for Steve on that acronym. So I am going to assume that Laurie, you are going to be helping Eric with the acronym called PWA. Oh, well, let's hope so I, can. I think it's, as someone else looked it up, my memory is this progressive web oh, application, yes. but I'm, I'm not certain it. I'm right. I didn't Google no, it while right. you were talking, but that's my memory. I may have that one of it. those words wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think what's interesting specifically in the B2B space, a lot of times for manufacturers, distributors, they have um, certain things that they want to have happen because of how they do business that can create more complexity in checkout and can cause users to abandon. Um, and some, sometimes manufacturers kind of want, uh, in some sense, that's, like, that's what they think they want. One example is like creating an account. A lot of manufacturers will say, before you can, before we'll take your order, you need to have an account with us. And so like thinking about how that doesn't interrupt the checkout experience is, is, is important. So like in an ideal situation, um, like we have some organizations we work with that actually do an API lookup on a, on a customer account to be able to validate an account uh, automatically through an, like an account number and a zip code match that we're looking up. And if that's not found, still allowing them to place an order, but not, it, the order's placed at maybe like their public level pricing versus that customer's discounted pricing, and then it gets fixed on the next subsequent order. But so thinking about how from a, even if you've got some complex rules, how to enable, you want to be able to take their order when they want to place it. You don't want them. And if you do have a process where someone needs to apply for an account, ensuring that that, that turnaround time on that application is really fast so that they can get the order placed as soon as possible. The other thing I've seen in the B2B space is, like as, as an example, in the industrial supply space, they may have hazardous chemicals that they can't ship to certain states. And so... You may have, they put this chemical in a shopping cart and and, um, and then they say they're going to ship it to California. 
and then and that that product can't ship there. And so what you don't want to have happen is someone that gets to a point where they're like, oh, we can't take your order. <laughs> well, the better path is that in checkout, they say, well, this order, we can't ship you this. But but for, for you know, in California, we could ship you this alternative product that meets a similar need. So being able to build and customize checkout to handle those types of needs in the B2B space is something I've seen. Yeah, so interesting trick there overall in saving that customer with respect to shipping. So if you are not shipping a product in a specific location, you can offer them the the other product, which is good. But the other comment that you made related to fast account process, I don't know how many CFOs are going to really like that. (laughs) And the reason for that is because there has to be a credit check, okay? I appreciate the orders or my finance community is going to appreciate the order. Yes. But if the financial check is not through, we need to make sure that we are going to be paid as well. Yes. Well, so to be clear, if if you're for, for those customers that come through without a finance check, they're paying on credit card. They're not they're not paying on credit. And then the other path is there are there are real time credit approval services out there like Approve and others on the market that specifically for B2B are doing real time credit approvals. So if you have a new account sign up happening online. But again, the idea of trying to make like that not you don't want to slow down that checkout experience for a customer. Yeah, but I mean when we look at the B2B experience, especially when we are talking about the the credit maintenance overall enterprise wide, right? So even yeah. if their credit is good and they have bought for like eighty thousand dollars and after yeah. that my CFO is gonna be mad that unless I'm paid, I'm not gonna <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not gonna you know give them any more. So that credit check nobody else can do in the market. Even if you have real-time check from the design perspective, but sure. when you talk about the financial credit check, that is going to be, okay, how much do you want to give to a person before you start asking, okay, you want to pay for this order before I give you more? So again, the sure. financial check is going to be more from the enterprise perspective. So I'm pretty sure Chris actually has a lot of insight there overall in the account management because B2B space is very different. The way accounts are managed when you talk about reconciliation of these two systems from the credit perspective, from the loyalty perspective, from the account management perspective, it's just a nightmare overall from the system perspective. Just because if you don't have these systems in sync, you can run into real troubles from the finance perspective. So Chris, on to you, what have you seen as far as shopping cart goes? But before that, I don't even know if shopping cart actually exists in your world. So do you wanna touch on that? Uh, It absolutely exists, and people do expect transactions and conversions online, absolutely, so uh, it exists. I just want to say thank you to Lori for not giving me an acronym that I wouldn't know the answer to, so thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, No, I think at the end of the day, it's so important to remove friction from the ordering process. So uh, certainly those of us who have been around a while, we have seen modifications to the UI and the UX to ensure that we're removing that friction. I will tell you that areas that have come up frequently that have been a challenge on why somebody doesn't continue buying from you, specifically in the B2B space, right? So I think about buyers who often are coming with an item number that has been given to them from somebody else they might not care about an image or other things. Maybe they've used your bulk upload process or they've used your quick order process. Uh, maybe you have a pad or something where they can quickly type in their SKUs and shift that into a cart. What they're looking for, because oftentimes they have to validate 
those items, the quantities, the delivery times, and the price against something they've already created on their own PO. So when they, maybe they've got 15 items to buy from you. Typically they are buying large quantities of items from, from enterprise organizations. And they have to go line by line and check to make sure each item. So if they want to put 15 items on order, all 15 items have to show up. All the prices have to match. The delivery times have to meet their delivery requirements or they're going to kick it back. And it has to be all 15 line items. So they're verifying that 15 are there, not 13 of the 15. Because traditionally what happened is they would throw that over the wall to somebody at customer service, either through an email or fax of their PO. And the uh, company's uh, customer service team was to enter that in. And if there was a discrepancy, they would go back to that company with the discrepancy, or maybe they would accept the order at the lower price because they want to take the order, right? So in the world of getting conversions, it's so important that that process is easy and these customers can order on account when they are logging in with their account number, they're in fact seeing their price and that price should match something that uh, of course is in their own system. So a lot of things have to validate for them to confidently check out. And I know that goes to your earlier question, Sam, do, do they even do this? Because a big part of e-commerce for manufacturers is a self-service tool for so many other things than just the transaction. But I will say that other things that cause friction are when a company can't add their own collect information for shipping, right? So if, if prepaid and add is the only option and the manufacturer did not allow collect for them to put their own collect information in for shipping purposes, they might abandon that order and again, use a traditional model to make sure that it, it goes through the way that they would like. Perhaps the shipping options that are available to them are not fast enough. So they might abandon that cart because there aren't enough shipping options to meet their delivery requirement. A return policy might not be clear. So that creates some friction. You know, people, uh, when they're purchasing online, they may want to be able to make sure that they can return or understand that return policy. So that there are some issues that uh, can frequently come up. And I would say speed. In all of this, when it comes to friction uh, in the buying process, speed is a real critical one. How, how your site performs in producing information for people is really going to determine if they continue with confidence that you're a good site to even purchase from. So hopefully they already trust you in the B2B world because they have an account with you. They're doing business with you. So they might even be able to accept a little bit slower speed because of that confidence and trust that you've built in other areas. But continually looking at speed, I know as we've developed products over the lifetime of our own solution, we've had to look at speed and we've had to address things and we've had to address the multiple pages in the checkout process always with the intent to reduce friction to get to that conversion. Yeah, it's kind of interesting the way you touch about the speed, because even if you have, let's say, just one step and that is slower than your five steps, then obviously right. your speed is going to be super important. So thank you so much for that. So speed and step, those two are really critical. You mentioned about the return policy as well. That is super critical. So Erin, Chris actually got lucky with the acronym game. And now it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's on you. So, did you have a chance to Google what PWA is? <laughs> the team is correct. It is Progressive Web Apps. I did not have to use Google, by the way. <laughs> okay. So, thank thank you for handing me the hot potato. I think I did all right with that. Hey, Sam, something I noticed you brought up a couple times, and I want to bring it forward because I think our listeners might be interested. It, yeah. You sort of mentioned to Chris, like, do you use shopping cart? Maybe you don't. And there are cases where something that is termed cart to quote is sort of a middle ground. And so I'd like to hand it back to Eric to talk about cart to quote, just so, to be clear on what you mean by you might not have a shopping cart. And Eric, if you could take it away with that, that'd be great. Sure. Some people, some, some people that have sites, they typically assume to be manufacturers. They have something that they call an online catalog. And it's not the flip page kind of catalog. It's more like uh, here's our products and here's the different sizes and colors of all their widgets that they sell. But you can't really order something right there. I mean, you can't actually order and pay for it. They might have a quote button, which is good. It's a, it's a, it's a way of getting a lead or an acquisition. But it it's also can be a barrier, too, because they, you know, when I look at a quote, I think, oh, God, I'm going to have a salesman call me. <laughs> and maybe they want that maybe they don't though so really maybe they just want they want a price in a uh, non-threatening environment or non-competitive environment so the the quotes a quotation system can provide that you can use a quote for certain types of products a lot of times i think i see them when the products are really big or really heavy and you just it's like okay if you want to ship um a swing set, you know, you're not going to get a UPS rate to ship a swing set that weighs 400 pounds. It's just not going to happen. You maybe could hook into LTL freight providers, but that's a whole nother level of craziness for development. So you may see the manufacturer, the swing set saying, give me a quote, but that quote eventually possibly might turn into an actual order. So that that's an e-commerce transaction. And it, it's a cart, a quotation system really is just another type of cart. You're putting things in a little bucket. You're saying, what's, what's the value of my stuff in the bucket? How much is it going to cost to get the stuff to me? And how long will it take? Pretty much the same thing as a shopping cart. There's just not the immediacy of the payment involved. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's an interesting question, Aaron, because I also think that people can't abandon if they don't have the quote option. So often, you know, I do think that quote at least moves it through a process. And now I have a, a firm price for a certain period of time. Maybe there was something in your site that caused me to doubt that I'm getting the right thing. And I maybe put two things in my cart with the, the concept that I'm going to eliminate something later. But for now, I'm going to quote it get the secure price for my period of time and then go confirm with whomever I have for that doubt. Or um, a quotation is part of my process. In the service world, it would not be uncommon for a technician to go out, meet, uh, do an inspection of the machine, create a quote. They're not a buyer, so they don't have the approvals to actually place an order. So by creating the quote, it, it moved through the cart. It's not abandoned, but now a buyer can log in see that quote and place the order. So for easy quote uh, conversion. So there are some elements of why a B2B manufacturer 
still needs to have a quote process available in their store. Many companies still have rules around, I need to have three quotes before I can buy it. So they have to actually physically get quotes before they can place an order. So this quote process uh, is pretty common. And I do think if they move through the shopping cart into the quote, at least it's not abandoned. Interesting comments. And I'm probably going to have a clarifying question. Typically, when you are looking at the cart to quote functionality, is that going to be provided by default by any of the platforms? Or is that going to be custom built? Especially when we are talking about these complex workflows, multiple quotes. So Eric, if you want to go first, obviously um, you have unmuted yourself. Sure. The answer is yes. <laughs> it can be done all three ways. Depends on the features you need. Uh, a really simple, I mean, simple and even intermediate cart, cart to quote sort of systems you can buy as an extension to fairly common platforms. But if you want to get super complex with lots of shiny features, you may need a, de- well, I'm speaking in the mostly in the B2B world, you probably need a dedicated B2B platform that has a lot of these things built in already. And I won't recommend any of those, but they're out there. <laughs> you can recommend an alpha. I'm okay with that. Okay. <laughs> let's, let, let, let's just compare them. Let's, let's read them and let's compare the pros and cons and let's just, uh, you know, debate as a group. <laughs> well, I mean, we did a whole show on, you know, quotation systems and without repeating all that, there's, there's kind of three levels. The The basic level is basically a form that just passes along the SKU and, and you fill in and say, I want so many of these widgets and here's my name and phone number and give me a call. All the way to the whole other end of things where you can produce a full, huge, essentially a shopping cart with all your products and your options and your shipping requirements and your approval requirements and lead times and potential shipping dates and all kinds of other things that you may want to, that you may need that are part of your business rules. So, uh, you know, those, to Chris's point, absolutely, those do, those are valuable, <laughs> really valuable. And the quotation systems even have, can assign um, sales reps and lead times and follow-up times so that, you know, it goes over to Sally and Sally's supposed to call that person back in three days. And, you know, you can track that kind of thing, which is because it's, it's really valuable. Did I answer the question? I don't know. I got, got off track there. I think you answered the question. Okay. But I also want to make clear when you answered earlier, you were talking about a form can be a lead gen tool. So quote can scare people off or it could be a really critical part of the buying process. And I think it's on incumbent on the, the site owner to be clear which one a person is about to experience. Because as you said, you don't want to scare someone away with a, a quotation cart to quote that really is going to provide that service for them. And if it is a lead generation tool, you want to do that effectively as well. So discriminating between those two is is a really important decision to make as a site owner. I want to clarify that it doesn't have to be either or. We have sites where they have both. Okay, if you know you need this widget and it's this size and that color, just buy it. But maybe you don't quite fit that model so you can get a quote and the two buttons are literally side by side do you want to buy it or do you want to quote um so i hope i didn't confuse the issue there no not at all that's good i I do think it was good 
Oh, and I also heard you when you were talking about that, Eric, you were referencing aspects of like workflow. Like, you know, sometimes there are some users that need to approve something that another user did in a checkout experience. Right. Like someone sets up the order, another user approves it. Th those That's functionality that's in, like is it one of the software systems we work with is Optimizely B2B Commerce Cloud. That, that those types of features are things to look for if that's important to you. And another thing that's related to workflow is punch out capabilities, you know, where sometimes organizations, your buyers may have purchasing systems that uh, that can interface with your shopping cart through a provision of a punch out. And there are punch out providers that I, that I think integrate with all of the platforms we're working with today that, that enable that kind of functionality. Okay. So, Laurie, I mean, obviously, we want to talk about these platforms. So, you already mentioned Optimizely. Do you want to talk about some of the limitations of the other competing solutions? And then, obviously, you know, we are going to come back to Chris as well because we'll let her pitch about Gen Alpha. And, but, you know, what we want to know is the comprehensive perspective overall where are the shortcomings in different solutions and which is the sort of leading solution in this specific functionality? And if there are any shortcomings, where do they lack? and where they are going to be slightly better for it. So do you want to uh, you know, talk about the shortcomings of the sure, other Sure, you know, I think anything's possible with software. <laughs> and so what you want to be, but it's we not always a good idea. We are talking about out of the box. We you are know, I know, I know, I know. So I'm saying it's not always a good idea. So, yeah. so just like with that provision, and I think software platforms like often can be a good fit in certain instances and not in others. So it's a matter of figuring out like what's the right fit for the organization you are. So, you know, BigCommerce is one of the platforms that we work with. They just came out with a B2B edition that does that has some of the capabilities we're talking about in terms of like, well, we didn't even hit on it, but like multiple user management, I think we hit on a little bit, but, um, you know, quotes uh, are features and capabilities that are in there. But when you look at Optimizely B2B Commerce Cloud, there's a much more, there's a much deeper set of B2B capabilities and data integration framework underneath that and, and workflow. There are uh, budget capabilities, other B2B capabilities that are not a part of big commerce. Uh, it also comes at a higher price point. And so it's really a matter of figuring out what features are important to you and looking at, you know, where are you at today? Where do you want to grow to with the organization? I think we hit on that a little bit in the LinkedIn Live last week around licensing as well. And so I think like constructing, like looking at what your goals are, who your competitors are, what features and functionality you need to have as a part of your site, and then looking at both the licensing costs and the labor costs. Because like one of the advantages of Optimizely B2B Commerce Cloud Wallet has a higher license price, if you were to try and build that capability in a platform that didn't have it, it'd be much more expensive and more expensive to maintain. So it's really about looking at your total cost of ownership. Okay, amazing. So Laurie is more on the nicer side. I think she does not want to talk about the competing solution. So Chris, now here is your turn. Okay, you can talk about all the competition and talk about how oh, Gen Alpha is better. Oh, I wants to have a debate. Yeah, I, I exactly. <laughs> You know, the, the reality is, and I agree a lot with, with Lori, that when it comes to the shopping cart, with technology, almost any provider is going to be able to do what you need to do or have out-of-the-box functionality that meets uh, typical shopping cart requirements today. What you're looking at when you're comparing solution is your overall requirements and where which companies best fit your needs. You know, we're in a very targeted space with equipment manufacturers, aftermarket components, ensuring uh, our whole role is to ensure that there's confidence in ordering the right part. And that instilling confidence is throughout the in 
the entire journey of the buying process. It's not just the shopping cart. So the shopping cart is one aspect of everything that we're doing. Whereas if you're not in a, a space where you have equipment and manufacturing parts and your more retail environment, that you probably don't need the entire feature set that Gen Alpha and Equip offers. So that's where really looking at fit, understanding your requirements, and then as you go and look at your requirements against the different solution, understanding your total cost of ownership across all of those is, is really where you're going to decide. I really haven't looked at other platforms and said their shopping cart is better or worse than ours. Shopping cart is typically even to Eric's point earlier that they, you know, that one page is kind of what everybody's moved to. And then variations of your shopping cart is, is kind of what everybody's playing with, but it's the entire process of giving uh, buyers confidence that they're in fact getting exactly what they need in the environment that you're selling in that I think is much more the evaluation. So I would love to debate if it, if it was right, but I, I, I don't know if shopping carts is the place where we're going to find that debate, frankly, because I do think a lot of people have spent time there to ensure that that's properly working. And it's really uh, ensuring that also ERP systems that you're integrated with and all the integrations that you want to do, because Lori talked about uh, or, or somebody about quotes in transferring that quote to the sales process. So does it integrate with the CRM in a good way so that somebody can make make a next step with that? Are there the proper workflow capabilities? Those types of things. Some organizations may just not need that. So then in the requirements, those would be absent. So it, it really comes down to the requirements. So we were discussing about different factors. Now let's talk about some of these strategies that we have taken. I, I think we sort of mixed uh, in between when we were talking about the, the shoes, we were also talking about these strategies. So now we are going to do the quick round of different strategies that you have seen without repeating ourselves. Uh, so Eric, do you want to touch on these strategies first? Pretty straightforward to do things like a speed analysis. <clears throat> and you can spend time in analytics and other tools to see uh, where the drop off is, meaning where is the person where, where where does their journey go? Where do they just stop going? You know, they put something in the cart and then they go bye-bye. And if you have an abandoned cart feature, it sends them an email saying, hey, uh, we saw you were looking at this. Do you want to buy it? What is your, I mean, there are industry-wide averages for people who get those emails to complete the transaction. Are you within the range of those averages or, or not? And if not, well, what's going on there? Um, so those are some business kind of strategic things. And then when you figure out what exactly is wrong, it's just a matter of turning over to the monkey wrench boys like me and fixing it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I should rephrase that question to make it slightly easier. And I'm actually going to come back to you, Steve, because you have not spoken for a while. So let's talk about some of the recent stories. So let's say if you had a shopping cart issue and what do you do to fix those? Can you talk about some of these stories? Well, you know, from the, I guess on a, one of the stories I have is uh, a CFO was concerned about fraud, which was a huge shopping cart issue for them. And uh, it only really came to our attention because they asked us to put a CAPTCHA form on the credit card processing page, which is a big no-no. And for those of you who don't know CAPTCHA, it is an acronym. I don't know what it is, what it means, 
but it's that thing, the box that shows up and it says, are you a human? How many stoplights are in these pictures? And you have to click the pictures, right? And it is a, it's a heavy duty security apparatus that you can put on uh, forums and whatnot, or even to enter websites. You know, in fact, even to get into QuickBooks, you have to do that, right? But that's not the solution for in a shopping cart for a credit card uh, problem like that, fraud, fraudulent orders. The solution is the correct settings in the back of your gateway and probably autofilling, as uh, Eric mentioned earlier, autofilling of addresses using uh, PWA, which is a basically JavaScript, just a little app that says, goes to a database and says, here's all the addresses in the world, or say the United States, start typing in your address and you say, oh, look, there's me. And that, that just makes for a greater uh, customer experience. Um, so from the CFO standpoint, you, I think you want to make sure that you're not accidentally telling your implementers like Eric or anyone else in this room what you think the solution is because most times you actually don't uh, you don't even really understand the actual problem um, and it's not because you're not a smart person it's a, you're not living in that world yeah. so you know tr trust your your folks to find what that issue is and, and give you the recommendations because it's usually two or three small changes you can make in the settings of your shopping cart or maybe even switching credit card providers that will actually fix that problem save you a lot of payroll and headache so, yeah, so we are definitely trusting with your expertise, Steve, but I'm actually going to have a clarifying question there. So you said that CAPTCHA is a big no-no on the shopping cart page. So why is that a big no-no? Well, it's one thing if you're a high security website like QuickBooks and people want to feel that security there. But if you're just trying to buy a set of dish towels from Bed Bath & Beyond, it's way overkill. And uh, a lot of people just won't do it, you know. So the simple answer is statistically, it's really bad. It's sort of that simple. It's really meant for places where you want your user to know that your security is very high, like QuickBooks or a bank, that hackers aren't going to get in. We're not worried about that when we're on Bed Bath & Beyond as users. It's, I think that's the principle we've gone round and round is reduce the friction and nothing right. will tick somebody off because I'd love it if you could just click on the ones with stoplights you have to count and then you don't trust yourself because you're I could go on I won't yeah I think our challenge as developers is that it's easy to think about all the things we want to add and I think it's also even easier for executives to say I want this this and this I, I see these features elsewhere and I want them right that's natural but our job is to actually eliminate things and we're, we need to eliminate fear of the purchaser in all ways, whatever that, whatever their hesitation is, we don't need to add something to make it better. We need to conceptually think about what am I going to take away to make it better. In the in the case of autofill, we're taking away their need to type it in all the way, and we're also taking away the ability for them to put in typos, right? Okay. So um, conceptually, I think that's really important as a developer to make for a better experience both for the comp company and the customer. So if I understand this right, so basically if you put CAPTCHA, and again, what you are trying to describe here is the experience is going to be kind of threatening, and that is probably going to result in the shopping cart abandonment because nobody's going to care for that. Am I fair in that assessment? Uh, if you take out the word probably, it's a great, <laughs> and, and change it to definitely, it, it's definitely. statistically shown that <laughs> you know if you were to add a, a CAPTCHA to Amazon, you'd cut their sales by 60%. Like, yeah. Like now, right? So you just don't want to do it. Okay. Right? Amazing strategies. Love it. 
Laurie, do you have any strategies in your basket that you have seen uh, yeah. that will simply scare people away from your shopping cart? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I would say in terms of like solving shopping cart issues, some things to think about are like, what are the processes you have around? Once you know what the issue is, how can you can respond to it quickly and get it fixed? And so, so, you know, and I think others have referenced this, Steve, I think you talked about this is like actually knowing what the issue is, like making sure you have, so I, I deal, a lot of times what happens is that like CSRs, customer service people may hear from a customer, like I'm experiencing this issue, like capturing and maybe even getting screenshots of whatever the issue is they're experiencing, being able to replicate the issue, passing that off to your development team, and then having a development team that ha that's able, that's ready to be responsive to that need, that has a test environment to roll out changes to test them on before they head into production. Those are the types of things that the processes that should be in place to ensure that you can resolve any issues that might crop up. Because sometimes it might be something completely out of your control, like, um, you know, like a, the re your real-time rate providers, like they went down or, or something like that. So you need a way to be supportive and responsive in terms of timing. Uh, the other thing that you can do is implement something like Hotjar has surveys where you can be getting feedback from users of like feedback on, on what they thought of the experience or needs that they had that weren't met. So you can get feedback of things to add to your development backlog. You know, and there's, there's user testing, talking to your customers, finding out what they would prioritize for you to change. Just make yeah. sure you put the user feedback survey after at the end. <laughs> yes, exactly. After, not before. Yes. No, you have to do the survey first before you buy the product. Okay. How many light posts are there? <laughs> okay, Chris, do you have any strategies that you have seen in your experience? Any stories? Yeah, I would say as far as strategies, I would say that analytics is a great way to understand where people are exiting your site. Google Analytics can tell you some platforms have their own analytics that pull that information so you can see that right away. It's kind of pointing you in a direction of where to look. So if you're frequently having exits in certain areas, pay attention to that. I would also say to make sure that you're having regular audits of your checkout process. You should be doing on your mobile devices and your desktop and across multiple browsers because there might be something you're experiencing. Uh, actually, that just reminded me, I think in Google Analytics, you can also see if there's a problem with a specific browser in your site because if uh, conversion rates are down in a specific browser, there are some reports that can show you and then that might point you in the direction that within a, a specific browser, you're having an issue. So those types of things, auditing, uh, are, and, and regularly looking at your analytics, having a fresh set of eyes on your checkout process is always good too. I know when we have new people into our company, we'd love to have them look at the site before we're even showing them the site to have them point out roadblocks that maybe we're not seeing. We also love going live with new customers because new customers see our site differently than uh, customers who have been doing business with us for a long time. So, and one more strategy might be having chat support. So if there is uh, a time in the process of checking out that you should be chatting to make sure that there isn't a question that could be solved to keep them going through the process, or at least they're engaging with somebody so that the order isn't lost altogether, chat could be a really good solution as well. So those are some of the, the things that uh, we, we work through on our side. 
So I did have a clarifying question there with respect to the audit. So let's say if I want to know how to perform the audit and I don't even know if I, anybody is performing audit for, let's say, our web infrastructure. So what is the process for that? Uh, I would say that the checkout audit process is really just adding items to your cart and going through the entire, all the pages, making sure that the speed is there, that the performance is there, doing it across the multiple browsers. People can do this in their user acceptance testing environment. Sometimes the UAT environment will be somewhat slower than the production environment. So if you can test in a production environment, it's typically even more valuable. So it's really just going to the different browsers and adding items to your cart, checking the, the speed of the site. There are a lot of things. Hopefully you have some monitoring on your site that, that can give you that information already. But, but that's what it would look like. It's really just going on, going through a mobile and seeing if the pages are loading in the same way that you would experience on your laptop or desktop. Still in the B2B world, we're finding that a lot of users are still using laptops and desktops. We, we, we continue to see a rise in mobile, but as we see that rise in mobile, we need to be making sure that the mobile experience is the same as they would experience in the desktop work. So it's really just going through those pages of and, and all the way through creating a quotation or creating an order. Okay. Does anybody else have any comment on these strategies before we do the closing thoughts? Because we are about time right now. I'm just doing the quick check here. Steve, Eric. I'm going to toss one short one in if I can. Please. Which is uh, it. If you're going to look at analytics and you have a thriving paid per click campaign, that's often a better indicator of what your target audience is doing because your organic results, you can actually have a accidental, you know, misplacement of your target audience because you have misdesigned a landing page or something like that. Whereas with PPC, you know, you're getting people that are looking for something and that can help drive better uh, landing page experiences as well as conversions. Amazing. Eric, do you want to go next? I just had a minor comment regarding captchas and checkout pages and such. We, we've had customers with fraud problems, as pretty much every developer has. And the problems were solved, not with anything we did, but with the correct configuration on the gateway. You can throttle the number of transactions per minute or per even per second. You can uh, control the number of the countries that come in, the, the type of payment providers, all kinds of things like that. So, yeah, don't use a captcha. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric. And we are going to do quick closing advice here. I don't know. Chris, do you want to start with your closing advice? Sure. I would say speed affects revenue. So when it comes to friction and reducing friction and ensuring that the right speed, it will affect your conversions. It does affect revenue. So pay attention to those uh, things. Okay, amazing. So Sam has many times led us to the conversation, understandably, of comparing platforms. And there's always resistance from this team. And the reason being because they do genuinely believe that the platform is important. But what's more important is the person that's helping you achieve your goals. That is look for a partner, a development partner who understands your business, listens to you, and cares about getting you results. And then the platform is obviously important, but more important is the partner you choose to help you achieve your results. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that advice. Steve, your closing advice. Uh, I'm going to keep it simple, and I'm going because I think most people don't know this. Ask your credit card provider and your developer about 3D secure credit card processing. 
because it's something that's been around a long time and it shifts liability away from you when something gets uh, fraudulently ordered and dropped off at the a brownstone in New York City and shifts it back to the credit card processor for actually saying yes to it. Um, it also uh, streamlines the process and makes it safer for your customers. So 3D secure processing. It's in the background. Most people don't know about it. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, Eric, your closing advice related to shopping cart. Yeah, I, I would just reiterate re as somebody who designs and builds sites that there are lots and lots of features out there still, even though the general process has been more or less refined. Uh, you need to have a really clear idea of what you want to do in in the cart and also in the checkout system and and shipping and payment providers because without that information you you're going to get some rather unpleasant surprises down the road yeah you definitely don't want those uh, lori do you want to share your closing advice if you don't mind yeah my closing advice would be it's all about you know continuous improvement that like you know we talked about the fact that how much shopping carts have changed over the last 20 years um, and so I think people, you know, organizations should have an orientation of like, we're going to keep working at this to continually make our checkout experience better, our shopping cart experience better. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. And my personal takeaway from the conversation is going to be the shopping cart issues are going to have deeper impact. So watch for that. And especially don't instruct your developers if you don't understand what implication that is going to have on your sales, on your customer experience. Work with them, ask deeper questions, why they are saying what they are saying. On that note, I really want to thank you, everybody, for your time. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, okay. Sam. Bye. Bye, everyone. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Landman and Aaron Courtney, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E.com. If you want to learn more about Laurie McDonald, head over to brilliancweb.com. It's B-R-I-L-L-I-A-N-C-E-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to .com, jungle.com. It's D-O-T. C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Eyal Rosenberg, who discusses B2B e-commerce pricing nuances and how it is different and more complex than B2C. Also, the interview with Laurie McDonald who discusses sales compensation best practices for organizations aiming to transition to e-commerce from the traditional sales model. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.